Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 230 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 23rd, 2012, on the eve of Pac-12 Media Day. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber coming up later on the show. He's going to get into a lot of depth about the Penn State situation and compare it to sanctions to what happened at USC. Coach, we have Coach Harvey Hyde in this first segment. We're going to answer a lot of your questions about this USC football team. Only a short time away from fall camp. Once fall camp gets going, you know the season's right around the corner. If you have questions or comments for us, we love to hear from you. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Call 206-888-6755, leave a voicemail, or go, or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. Without further ado, I want to introduce a special guest, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, sir? How are you? Hey, Ryan. Good morning to you and all of our uh, listeners out there. And, uh, yes, we are getting closer to the football season, and we do uh, have some questions to answer. And I think as we get into football, there will be more questions. And uh, also the verbal commits continue to roll in, and and uh, it looks forward, and everyone's looking forward to uh, – the 2013 recruiting class as they have now the 2012 recruiting class and that has been a, a I think an excellent class too but uh, we've got a lot to talk about so uh, why don't we get into it we'll jump right into it wanted to thank our sponsor Southern California Tickets you can go to scticketscom real simple to remember or if you want to call them ask for Curtis tell them coach sent you 1-800-888-7287 and check them out and uh, coach we don't want to spend too much time on this because I know we're going to we got a lot of questions that Dan Weber is going to answer later in the show, but you know, getting up early, watching what happened with these Penn State sanctions, what the NCAA did there. Maybe just get your initial thoughts on that. Well, I, I don't know. I think it's a sad day for everyone. Uh, boy, what a sad day for Penn State people. Yesterday, the statue goes down, which is a school decision, and that happens. And and uh, the record of games. Uh, being erased as far as some Joe Paterno's uh, record. And, uh, you know, you have to sit back and look at the whole picture and think about it for a moment. You can't emotionally react on something. Uh, You know, for the first time, there's a sanction being put on a university where an athlete or an agent or someone wasn't out there doing something wrong uh, in any way. It it now is a lack of control from the administration side of it not the the athlete themselves and a lot of these guys are the ones that are on committees with the ncaa or i'm sure they have been as far as an athletic director or college president and and you sit and sanction other schools as paul d did usc and now you're on the other end of it so it's an interesting uh, thing to look at and colleagues of Uh, the NCAA who sit on their governing boards are now sanctioning other colleagues uh, that are uh, of their peer group. Uh, I, I, I have mixed emotions because first of all, I hate to see innocent student athletes who are attending a university and have been working out hard to have these type of sanctions come down anytime, but hey, a week and a half before they go to camp or two weeks before they go to camp, depending when their season starts, and they say they can transfer. Uh, how much time does this give a student athlete to actually get ready to transfer? Now, if you're an incoming freshman, then that gives you a different alternative, uh, like saying, uh, I might not go this year. I might sit out this year, or who has a scholarship open that might want me? Because what they've done to Penn State has put them in a position where it's going to take them years to recover, years to recover. And how about if you're Bill O'Brien, the head football coach at Penn State? You come there not knowing this is going to happen, thinking that all of the 
legal process has been taken care of. You bring a whole coaching staff. You leave the New England Patriots. You come in there, and all these sanctions now are put on you. And what about your coaching career and your future? What happens to you and your future? So they're penalizing these coaches, too. So, you know, if they're going to release the athletes and they can go anywhere, they ought to be able to release the coaches, too, and maybe even release them with two years' pay because they're going to have to find times to go out. and Their career's on the line, and they didn't do anything wrong. So, you know, I don't know if it's something that they felt they had to do, the NCAA. Personally, I, I think it's a legal process. I think if Joe Paterno would, was alive, he'd probably be, uh, pursu- or, you know, prosecuted. So would everybody else. And I think that that was a terrible thing that happened there. But now to punish these kids, I mean, uh, to me, these kids that are getting ready for camp, I mean, they say they can transfer. Where can they transfer to now? I think personally it would have been better off if they gave them a one-year death sentence, one year, where all the kids could just redshirt, they could regroup. If they're a senior and they wanted to transfer, can find a place, fine. If not, they had another year of eligibility. Next year they'd give them an extra year. And they just shut the program down for a year. If they want to still find them $60 million for their cause, which I think is good, that's fine. And then bring it back up and give them an opportunity to still have a football program. Now I understand the Big Ten has also now come in with a sanction saying they will not receive any of the revenue generated from bowl games from the Big Ten. So, you know, they're going to get hit hard. And I don't don't see how they're going to recover. It's going to take them 10 years to recover from this. Uh, maybe never. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Ryan, I didn't mean to ramble off. But you know okay. me, I can't stop talking. <laughs> so, so, you know, you can tell I've, I, I, I support the coaches in this as I do the kids and the players and how about the student body and the students and everybody who's there at the school at this time going through this. So, you know, it's, it's tough. Tough situation. Certainly tough. We're going to talk more with Dan Weber in the next segment, but let's get on to some USC topics for now. Uh, we got a bunch of questions. The first one says, I know it's early in the offseason, but college football is right on the corner. Which teams do you think on USC's schedule will SC have the most trouble with in 2012 and why? Love the podcast. Austin, uh, podcast in Austin uh, is from Charlie. Charlie, I think the game at Stanford is the third game of the year is going to be a crucial football game. Why Stanford has learned how to win. They've won 12 games, 11 games, 12 games, whatever. Uh, Shaw, David Shaw did a great job last year. They've got a lot of returning players, on, especially on the defensive side of the football. Uh, they, they are a darn good football team. And they haven't changed anything with their offense, their defense, their philosophy. They've had good recruiting years. So going to Stanford and playing Stanford there is going to be a tough football game on the road. I think going to Washington is going to be a tough football game for USC. Why? It's crazy up in Washington. They've had trouble beating Washington uh, up there. And I think it's going to be a, a tremendous challenge. I think it really is up there. It's a scary place to play. And uh, even uh, if they don't have a good team, there's a chance of you getting beat. But I think they're going to be an improved football team, the Huskies. Uh, they got to improve on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively they can score. I think also the Oregon game in the Coliseum is huge, just huge. But it's not only not only is it important to beat Oregon, is if it's because it's important if they win the, uh, the South and Oregon wins in North. You want to play them again in the Coliseum. You don't want to lose that game, still win the South, and then have to go up and play them in Eugene. That would be very difficult to do. I think the Notre Dame game is going to be a very tough game. Notre Dame's going to be a better football team. Uh, but, uh, you know, whenever you play this type of rivalry game, anybody can beat anybody. And the only thing I can remember is two years ago when they were out here and beat the Trojans, when the Trojans looked horrible against Notre Dame and should have beat them. And last year's game wasn't that, the score wasn't that close, but I'm going to tell you the game was that close. And people sometimes forget that. So uh, I think those are the key games. Uh, UCLA would never roll over and die. 
under Jim Moore in the in the Rose Bowl this year. That'll be a challenging game for them because UCLA this will make their season. They'll line up and try to uh, make a statement here in this football game as far as for recruiting and pride and everything else in Los Angeles. So that will not be an easy game. And the other teams, too, have already marked USC down as the team they want to play and they want to beat. So it's going to be a very challenging system, uh, season, but those are the key games. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Charlie. This is from Greg in the OC. He wants to know, in the Pac-12, the Trojans must be able to defend the spread as well as the Stanford power rush. Uh, the, teams, the team uses speedy, light linebackers that can cover from sideline to sideline. Under the Trojans' defensive scheme, what are the ideal attributes for the strong side defensive end and weak side defensive end positions? Well, um, normally on the weak side, you're more of a cover guy. And you get involved in different type of coverages and blitzes and and packages that uh, sometimes even coverages well man on man with people and you 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 got to have great speed on the strong side you're more of a physical type of guy that can take on the run and 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 uh, uh, double teams uh, down and you got to close down and you're more of a tougher guy uh, bigger you don't have to be quite as fast it's great to be fast and be big now don't get me wrong. But I think you're more of a physical guy, strong side type of guy that you look for to take on the fullback and the guards and Stanford's power when they kick out or try to run inside of you or hook you or whatever they need to do. you got to be able to come up the field real real fast, too, and keep the quarterback in the pocket and make moves and, you, and uh, do a good job of power rushing. So, uh, yes, there are different offenses in the Pac-12 currently, but right now, the Pac-12 is a passing conference. It is a passing conference now. You've got, you know, Arizona with Rich Rodriguez, Todd Graham. You've got uh, Washington and Washington State, who, who, well, Washington will run the ball, but Mike Leach will throw the ball every down. Uh, Oregon will run the football, try to run the football. They're not quite as spread out. Uh, Oregon, I don't even have to tell you about them. They might be one of the fastest teams in football. I can still remember DeAnthony Thomas running that run in the Rose Bowl game when he just played with people and ran as fast as he needed to run. That's the fastest, I think, back or player I've ever seen in person on the football field in that run against Wisconsin. Then you go to Stanford and Cal. Stanford's going to run the ball off tackle, try to kick your butt, be very physical, yet still throw the ball, play action pass, and be a uh, a very similar type of team like SC does in the passing game, play action pass, but SC doesn't have the power game that Stanford has, which causes a lot of difficulty on people because they're not used to, to that type of football. Harbaugh took that same game to the NFL, same offense, and caused a lot of problems last year with a great defense with the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, it's a passing conference now. It's a passing conference, so you have to prepare for the pass. Then when you play teams like Stanford, you got to get ready to play them. Notre Dame's a passing football team. Uh, Syracuse, I'm not quite sure what they're doing, but I think they're spreading the field now. And Norm Chow, he'll spread the field on you and try to throw the football too. So you got to stop the pass, and then when you play these other teams, you got to put more players in the box. you got to force them. you got to stop them on the run and force them to pass the ball and play a lot of man defense and hope you can do a good job. All right, and then kind of a follow-up to that is a question from Bill. On defense, will USC be able to rotate players this year the way they would like? It would really help, especially with the likes of Oregon. I think they can. I think they should be able to, especially the secondary. I think it's going to be very strong. I think they're too deep now at linebacker. There's no question about that. They should be able to rotate. Uh, linebackers, they got some great linebackers in there now, moving the strong safeties up now to play more uh, as a strong side linebacker. Uh, uh, I think they can rotate linebackers. I think where their problems of rotating players, probably the most would be at defensive tackles. They'll do it with Tavai, Woods, Uko, and then hope that someone else comes through. Could be a freshman, maybe not. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure who will be their fourth defensive tackle, who they'll rotate in there. Defensive end-wise, they've got enough defensive ends. It's time for these guys to step up and play. You know, Horton and um, Kennard, time for them to now take over 
and to be the type of defensive ends everyone anticipated them to be. And then their backup ends, they've got to come through and be able to relieve them. If Green goes back and forth to one side or the other, it's time for Kevin Green to become a football player. Along with some of these other kids that they have, I don't have a depth chart in front of me, so I apologize if I'm missing someone. Uh, they quite, you know, they, they don't have all the necessary depth that you would want to have, but they're going to have to be able to be ready to play and, and uh, make up for their, their lack of depth. Okay, uh, let's go to Rundy. He says, looking at USC's current roster, which players, in your opinion, if they continue to develop and work hard, have the potential to be first-round draft picks? Wow. Uh, like A lot of them. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but but they everyone. obviously all aren't going to be first-round draft picks. Uh, Barkley, obviously. Uh, I think Walker, the left tackle down the road, will be a first-round draft choice. Holmes could be a first-round draft choice to center. Uh, Allen Kraft at uh, right tackle. Uh, I, it's going to be interesting to see how he does this year and next year. Uh, could potentially down the road be one you never find great bookends. On the defensive side of the ball, could Art could be one. I'm not sure if Horton could be one. George Uko, I think it has the potential of being one. I really do. Um uh, Marquis, sure. Marquis Lee Marquis. and uh, Robert Woods. Who? What'd you say? Marquis Lee and Robert Woods, of course. Oh, oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't even have to mention that, do I? <laughs> and, and, and along with, uh, I'm not sure yet on their tight ends. Telfer has that uh, possibility. Uh, I don't want to say this before we have a season, but Nelson Aguilar, from what I've seen in summer workouts and from what I've seen out of high school, he definitely down the road could be one. I haven't seen the others, so I can't make any comments on any other new players. In the secondary, T.J. McDonald. Uh, Roby, I don't know if he'll be a first-round draft choice, but that kid can really play. I'm tell you, I've really been impressed by him. Uh, they'll have a I, – I think that's about it. I can't really forecast all these players, but I've got great ability and uh, – you know, they got to live up to their ability to, and, and hope. To, you know, there's only so many first-round picks, and there's a lot of schools in the country, but these guys are all different classes. So down the road, I think these players have the potential of being a first-round pick. Um, Lamar from the, Lamar Johnson from the AV. I'm not sure where the AV is. Uh, he says he's looking forward to the upcoming season, can't wait to see the development of the kids and the staff compared to last year. I think all of us agree with you there, Lamar. Uh, one thing he's talking about is with the playoff format, he thinks over the past several years, USC had a bunch of top four finishes and really had a shot at winning the national championship. And he thinks over the next 10 years, uh, USC can at least win three of them. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty uh, lofty goal. What do you think the playoff format kind of helps the USC situation where they were and where they are going forward? Well, I don't know if it helps them. Certainly puts them in a position where they would normally be anyway. The best teams are going to play in the playoff games. Uh, I think if they continue to recruit like they're recruiting, uh, they certainly do uh, have the potential of winning national championships. To win national championships, you've got to be lucky as well as good. Take Alabama last year. They didn't even win their conference, their division. And uh, they got selected to go to the national championship game and play LSU again. So you got to be at the right place at the right time uh, and, and be able to uh, be in a position to win the national championship and don't have any injuries and all the things that go along. But great teams make their own luck. I believe in that. Great teams create luck. So uh, I think SC – it's one of the elite college football programs in America. And when you're one of those type of programs, then you surely should compete and contend for a national championship. As I said last week or two weeks ago, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'd change USC's roster with anybody in the country. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know the other team's rosters as well as I know USC's. But I know USC is blessed with a lot of great talent. And uh, maybe some teams are stronger at certain positions. But overall, 
talent-wise, I would say that they're one of the top teams in the country. Will they be one of the top teams? Well, they have to uh, to, to to play together, coach together. You have to make smart calls. You can't have stupid plays, fem- uh, turnovers, penalties, and key thing situations. But parity is out there because on any given day, anybody can beat anybody. And the Pac-12 is getting tougher. Stanford's there's no gimmies in the Pac-12 anymore. There's no gimmies. I mean, where's your gimme? Washington State with Mike Leach? Never. There, there aren't any gimmies in the Pac-12. So, you know, and I think, too, that the Pac-12 is not given the credit that they should have as far as the type of football conference they are. The Southeastern Conference, everybody's drinking the water. I mean, uh, the Kool-Aid or whatever you want to call it. I mean, they have their media day on ESPN. They have it four days, five days, replay it over and over and over and over so that everybody starts to believe everything you read about. Not that they don't have great teams. There's teams in the Southeastern Conference are gimmies. Mississippi's a gimme. Vanderbilt's getting better, but they're gimme. I mean, some of these teams are gimmies. And who are they beating themselves? So they build up everybody how great they are. So when they beat each other, it's great. But when you look at their non-conference schedules, you say, wow, you know, please. I would be embarrassed. To, I mean, SC, now SC alumni, if you played Wolfork or whatever they're called, what are they called? Wolford or some <laughs> of these schools. I mean, uh, the people would go crazy in L.A. I could just read the columnists in the Times right now talking about this week's game in the Coliseum. I mean, they wouldn't stand for it. But down there, it's okay. And the, and, and, the, and the columnists and the newspapers buy in on all of this stuff, and, and that's why so much time is given to the Southeastern Conference, TV-wise and everything else. Everybody drinks the Kool-Aid down there. And I have to tell you this. I can't argue the point that they have won all the national championships the last several years, which is true. They have. But to be the, the top conference over and over and over, I'd like to match up the Pac-12 at any conference in America. All right. Well, Coach, thanks very much again for coming on the show. Are you trying to get rid of me? I'm trying to get you out of here. No, we got to get we got Dan waiting on the line. So we got to jump him on. Uh, no, we, it's just a, it's a sad day. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Penn State stuff. We're going to get into that right. more with Dan Weber, but we'll see what happens going forward uh, with all that. But USC fans should, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about comparing sanctions to what happened with USC. USC fans should feel lucky. I mean, the the sanctions were certainly harsh and Lane Kiffin came in with a great plan. He's executed it very well. And, you know, now USC is on the cusp of trying to make another national title run and, and and bring in a number one recruiting class. So even with sanctions that the Trojans are still rolling and we get to see him on the field soon, Coach. That's what I'm looking forward to. We all are. And, Ryan, I want to thank you, and I'm looking forward to listening to the next segment. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach. Thanks for everyone out there. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer extraordinaire, our very own Dan Weber. Dan, uh, crazy stuff this morning. I got up at 6 to, to watch all the happenings with Penn State. Maybe get your initial thoughts on this. It's what everyone's talking about right now. Yeah, I was uh, actually even crazier than that. I got up at five to watch the uh, pre-hour uh, uh, pre-show uh, before they uh, actually went to the Indianapolis. So yeah, it's uh, you can't not be interested in uh, just the whole process. I, I was thinking about this, and I know that, that I've never been much of a fan of show trials, but 
here is the case where, unfortunately, the NCA dispensed with even the trial part of the show trial and just had the show. I mean, <laughs> they almost didn't have enough time this week to type up all the stuff that they gave out today at the press conference. Uh, you know, if you said, well, they had eight days or whatever since the free report, honest to gosh, you know, they, they, it sure looks like they were starting to come up with these penalties way, way, way uh, before that, uh, you know, to have them all ready to go early this morning. So uh, uh, not crazy about the process. Obviously, you can't be anything other than concerned about the, uh, you know, the victims, and they should be so far in front of everything else that happens in this case that, uh, you know, one would hope that that they could be taken care of, you know, for the lifetime, uh, you know, and maybe incorporated in ways in which, uh, you know, to the Penn State community uh, and, and to really be cared for in ways in which they never were, uh, you know, over the last 14 years. But uh, that would seem to be the thing you wish the focus was on instead of all the other stuff and the comparative things. But they're there. The NCA has chosen to go there. And so that's what we're going to end up talking about is how do these penalties and how does this process where they just basically said to the president, who for his whole time there, Mark Emmert has said, I'm not like those commissioners. I'm not. I really don't have this kind of power. Well, now he's been given that kind of power. And uh, is that a dangerous precedent to set? And I know the NCAA says precedent doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> yeah. the next time something comes along that involves – uh, you know, criminality or embarrassment or really, really, you know, depraved sorts of conduct, uh, the NCA is going to be called on to act and say, come on, step in. And I, I do think one could look at the Duke lacrosse case and say, you know, what if the NCA would have stepped in to the Duke lacrosse case when, let's say, 88 faculty members at Duke said, these guys are guilty, you know, hang them high. Uh, what if the NCAA would have stepped in there uh, and said, we have to act fast, get out ahead of this? It's a worrisome precedent, I think. I think you're right, and uh, he's definitely have. there's a Roger Goodell feel to this. Um, we're talking about that slippery slope. That's for the future, though. For now, obviously, you know, well, people— you know, and the, but the other thing, and this is the, the, the difference. In the Roger Goodell case and the NFL, they're basically all in it together. The owners all have an equal piece of the pie, and it's we've gone together to, to form an association in the National Football League, and we're going to share all the things that go into that. That's not the case with college football. For example, some would say you know, the SEC probably has a bigger piece of the pie here, and if they can get more at the expense of somebody else, they might try to do that. Yeah. So it's not the same as having – a guy who works for everybody. Mark Emmert, you know, you can say he works for everybody, but, you know, there are, there are issues. I mean, if you look at, for example, the two men that conducted the press conference today, Ed Ray, president of Oregon State, but who for 30 years was, uh, you know, a major administrator at Ohio State, a man who, when he was chancellor at Ohio State, hired Jim Tressel. And his comment was, Jim Trussell, the most ethical man I know. <laughs> he was one of the two people rendering judgment today. The other person, and I think this is an interesting point, now we have a situation where the Penn State-Ohio State game in 2010 didn't occur. <laughs> Both teams have now forfeited that game. And on the other side of that, the other person at the press conference today uh, Mark Emmert, his claim to fame was last year when he, at this time, set up an emergency meeting of the NCAA and handpicked 54 presidents to be at Indianapolis to talk about changing the direction of college sports. The person he handpicked to run that meeting and to stand up for all the people who were going to do the right thing for college sports was Graham Spanier, the president of Penn State. Wow. So when you look at the track record of Mark Emmert and Ed Ray, you think, are those the people 
I really weren't making unprecedented judgments outside the process about other schools in the NCAA? I'm not sure. No, I, I agree with you there, Dan. But like going forward okay. from here, so we want to look at the sanctions. We don't want to spend too much time on this because we got some team questions. But looking at the sanctions and the initial thing is you want to compare it to USC. Every time sanctions have come down, people are wondering will it be more or less than USC. Finally, a school got something that was more than what USC got. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on that. The, the 10 scholarships, initial scholarships for here is exactly what USC got though it's for an extra year, four years instead of three, the overall scholarships now take you down to a, a you know one double A school, sixty five scholarships as opposed to seventy five that USC got. So that's eight, you know eighty total over the the four year ban, and then obviously a four year bowl ban. Penn State did sign off on all of these. It's going to start right away. USC was able to stagger the sanctions a little bit, taking the bowl ban right away, and essentially having the scholarship sanctions happen after the bull ban was over for Penn state, it's going to be more concurrent, even though the, the scholarships do take a while. It's kind of a year behind the whole process, but it, it, it it's looks tougher. Like Penn state is going to be able to go with 85 scholarships this year for sure. But it looks like they're also going to be able to go with 85 the next year. Although their 15 scholarships, I think kicks in next year. So they're going to have, you know, a, a larger roster than USC the next two years, evidently, uh, because I think the number of seniors this year coming up, if they all leave, that would not have gotten them down to 65. So uh, their outer years are going to be, you know, much more problematic uh, when they go down to 65 for four straight years and only allowing to replace it with 15 a year. That I think is, is really wrong. But I think it points out something that in the USC case, you know that in probably every single area, they wanted to show how harsh this penalty was, how severe the uh, uh, violations were, how terrible what happened at Penn State was, and yet they still, the NCAA still couldn't bring itself to go below an initial award of 15 scholarships. So that tells you how completely over the top the USC 15 a year scholarship limitation is. I mean, it's just without a doubt makes the point of everybody who said it from USC that there is no justification remotely for the uh, NCAA have gone, have, having gone to a 15 scholarships uh, a year initial awards for USC for three straight years to, uh, to think that they couldn't get Penn State below that because I'm sure in their own minds they said, can't possibly do that to a team to take them down below 15 a year and that USC got it for what they got it for compared to what Penn State's getting it for. I mean, you know, as much as the NCAA probably didn't want to admit that, they've admitted the USC penalties were completely out of whack by uh, what they did today. It does give Penn State some wiggle room because, like we said, they're down a total of 20 scholarships overall, but every year having being able to bring in 15 – they're not likely to get to 15 in the middle of these sanctions uh, during the year. We'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, transfers and all that. But it does give them a little bit of wiggle room. Where USC, it's cut a lot tighter where you're down 10 scholarships overall and you're down 10 scholarships each year initially. It's tough to get back up there to 75 for USC every year. Lane Kiffin's been doing a good job and has the plan in place. I think it'll be a little bit easier to stay at 65 uh, and I think they're going to have to rely on the culture of walk-ons and people that are just that are good football players that can come on and and help. And they just love Penn State. And they would just love to be a part of the program. They're going to have a lot more walk-ons, twenty more walk-ons than than most other schools out there. And I think Luke, Lou Holtz made a really good point. He said, "Here's what you do," because they said, "How can you possibly compete?" And Lou is, you know, a classic competitor. And he said immediately, the first thing he would do is he would schedule four straight season-ending games against Hawaii in Hawaii. You get the extra game. It becomes like a bowl game. Hawaii probably wouldn't mind scheduling you because they might think, well, we've got a chance. And it gives your fans and your players a chance to say, we're going to end the season in Hawaii every year. It's what Alabama did. Uh, Now, maybe they won't be allowed. The rule might have been changed so they can't add it as an extra game. They may have only allowed to count it now, I think, as the 12th game if you're on 
uh, on, uh, you know, uh, if you're being penalized, whereas Alabama was allowed to count it as an extra game. They changed the rule right yeah. after Alabama did it. But, uh, they didn't I don't know if Penn State Alabama even wants an it. extra game right now. So, I mean, <laughs> but, but the other thing is you can sell kids on, A, you're going to get to play a lot here, and you're going to get to play right away. You're going to get to play against good opposition, and O'Brien is going to sell himself as an NFL coach and tell kids, you want to go to the NFL, you're going to have a good chance to do it if you come to Penn State, and they can handle walk-ons because basically you go to every high school in the state of Pennsylvania and half the ones in eastern Ohio and New Jersey and Maryland and uh, New York, and you say, we have a walk-on program like Nebraska used to have, and we're going to have 100 walk-ons, and if you're good enough, there'll be a scholarship in your future someday. And basically there are ways, I think, Penn State can sell it, but they've got to be really good at it. And, you know, they can follow Lane's, uh, you know, the way Lane has handled everything at USC, taking advantage of USC's unique advantages. Uh, I think uh, there are some ways Penn State can do it, but it is kind of ridiculous to ask a team to go for four straight years with one AA scholarships against the schedule Penn State, you know, is going to play. I just think that that just seems in a collision contact injury uh, producing sport that seems totally unrealistic just as it was for them to say we're going to fine you 60 million dollars but you can't take it out of any other sports and you can't take it out of academics and you think what they're going to go find it like at the dairy farm <laughs> under the cows where they go walk on the side roads out of state college and pick up chains i mean they got to take it from somewhere, whatever they do to give that $60 million for the fine, which I think is fine. They should give a fine. But then to tell them you can't take it from academics, you can't take it from any other sports, where are they going to take it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's baffling. And I, one thing I want to address with you, Dan, and talk about this is USC's done a good job of, of handling, a great job, amazing job. Uh, there's a lot of different. There was a good uh, article on Rivals.com by Steve McGargy, and, and they talked to Mike Farrell and some of the different reasons why USC was still able to compete. USC was a high recruiter already. They were a top 10 recruiter, not a top 25 recruiter. They have the NFL ties, and it's LA versus State College. I mean, there was definitely some advantages for USC, and they, you know, being able to win on the field, I think helped this class a lot. It's it's helping to get through these sanctions. Lane Kiffin's plan, you can't argue with it. It worked to perfection. It's not over yet. But you know they've they've done as good of a job as you could possibly do, seemingly to to handle these sanctions. What the problem is, it could go okay for Penn State too. Like they could stake around that sixty-five limit, have things work out well. But you know USC had a handful of transfers, didn't have a whole bunch. It could be a mass exodus from Penn State. I mean, if something like that happens and they get down to fifty scholarships, even though they're allowed to have eighty-five, you know, the next two years. You almost wouldn't want to have it if you're down to 50. You just might as well start the sanctions early and let it move on. But only having 15 to replace, I mean, it really could it could be the point where they have to say, we just don't have enough guys. We have to shut this down. Like, it, it could happen that way. Well, the other option is you wonder, did Penn State seriously consider, you know what, for the length of the sanctions, we think we'll just uh, – uh, you're dropping us to Division One AA or, you know, the football uh, championship FCS division uh, level scholarships. So why don't we just go FCS for four years uh, and we'll compete there and then we'll come back. Uh, you know, and of course, that would have totally screwed up the uh, uh, Big Ten's uh, television contract and, you know, all the other things, that, you know, that go along with that. And uh, it would have cost them money because here the Penn State people aren't coming to, you know, town for your, you know, your games and all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I would have – you wonder if the people at Penn State thought about that. Should we drop down to, uh, you know, uh, FCS uh, level for, for four years and whatever? I don't know if they'd have been allowed to compete, uh, compete at the FCS level or not. I mean, I think the thing they're going to try to sell them on is the whole walk-on thing and the walk-on culture and try to develop, uh, we're going to be the gutty, little, gritty, you know, Penn State. The problem they've got is, what if uh, uh, their big recruit coming in this year, I heard Colin Coward just talking about that, he's exactly right. What if Christian Hackenberg basically says, I can't go there, 
you know, we're not going to ever get a chance to compete for a Big Ten or a national championship or go to a bowl game. That really, that's just not what I see as my future. And what if that's basically the cue for, you know, all the other top recruits of a, you know, essentially kind of a a top ten recruiting class right now, a a class that's, you know, holding on to close to a top ten class. What if, you know, that becomes, you know, here at USC, you know, Matt Barkley, uh, TJ McDonald set the tone for we're going to stay. We're going to, you know, we've got unfinished business. We're going to, you know, see this through. But what if the the other tone is set at, uh, at Penn State that, you know, this is too long, too severe, uh, and and it's just not and, – and they don't have the benefit of, like, their marquee quarterback is still in high school, whereas, you know, Matt Barkley was, you know, he was only a sophomore when it hit first, but he was the leader and the face of the program, and he was here. Uh, it's a big difference. So uh, it, it'll be – and you've got a brand-new coach who who really wasn't from the Penn State – pipeline and community how does he handle that at Penn State I don't think we know any of those answers at all we don't well let's get to one question on this subject then we want to get to the USC stuff uh here's our friend Miguel hey Ryan it's Miguel got a question for Dan Weber um just to finish watching the press conference for the sanctions for Penn State wanted to know um since there's players that could transfer and everything, you think USC might take um, any uh, players off you of uh, Penn State? You know, like um, other schools did with USC. You know, we might uh, we need help in the defensive line, and maybe we could get some players off them. Thank you very much, and fight on. Uh, good question, Miguel, because that wasn't explained at the press conference. But when you read the fine print, here's the situation. If USC, we would assume, is at the maximum uh, for uh, for this year of 15 initial grants, 75 total scholarships, they have to be, uh, that uh, you will get an exemption. If you take a Penn State player, now they've got a great tailback, Silas Red, I guess, uh, going into his junior year, probably has some defensive linemen that, you know, you could say, hey, that, w- that wouldn't be so bad. You can get an exemption for the number of players you're over this year. So let's say you took one or two. Uh, you would next year, though, you would have to subtract those from your scholarship. So if you took two, you would drop to 13 scholarships next year and uh, 73 on the roster. So is that something USC can even think about? You know, I know people are saying that you know Silas Red is really a good tailback. Because uh, I guess 5'10", 200 pounds, uh, you know, had uh, you know, uh, 1,200 yards, I guess, last year and what have you. But first of all, you've got two kids in the USC recruiting class who really are top tailbacks who, you know, essentially the understanding is those are the two who are coming in, and that's, that's kind of the way things are. And, uh, and you've got tailbacks that are here. Do you disrupt kind of this really good chemistry that USC has got, you know, got going for itself? for a one- or a two-year, uh, you know, uh, player? Or do you bring in, you know, somebody has said, well, bring in a couple of senior defensive linemen. But basically then, you know, you're losing scholarships the next year and losing um, initial, you know, grants. And so you might be taking in a one-year player and losing the chance to get the four-year player you really want uh, the next year. So I'm not sure that the numbers play out uh, for USC in a way that that would make you think really, really hard before even getting involved with one. Now, maybe if there's one particular kid who really recruits USC and really has a special reason and really there's a special connection and all of that, maybe. But uh, with the numbers the way they are, it just doesn't seem to make you know, a great deal of sense. Even if it would help USC this coming year, is it worth it to do anything to damage what seems to be a, a wonderful chemistry uh, between, you know, the current team and the recruiting, you know, the recruiting class and all that? I'm not sure. And and just to be clear, the NCAA is only considering allowing people to transfer without counting 
against scholarship limits. So that's not even something they've decided on yet. I think they. I think it is listed now. I think I, I read it. It's under their uh, uh, definitions. I think uh, uh, they're saying that they they would do that. They could, if they give you an exemption, then you're going to have to pay for it the next year. So you're not getting a free transfer at all. You have to have the numbers. Uh, what they're saying is they would allow you to help the kid transfer out. They would allow him to go to a program that's already maxed out. But that program would have to make up for it the year, the next year. Yeah. It would seem like the, the schools that have 25 initial grants at 85 total have a lot more wiggle room next year. So you could decide, well, we'll just take 24, you know, recruit 24 kids and we'll take this kid. And that makes some sense. And with 85 scholarships, we can, you know, we'll be able to handle that. But if you're at USC's level of 15 and 75, there's almost no wiggle room at all. Yeah. Almost none. It would be, I mean, there may, there may be that case. So I won't, won't say never they should do it, but, uh, it would be a hard, uh, hard justification. It would have to take a lot of thinking. All right. Well, let's get to some of these uh, USC specific questions. Okay. Uh, we have to get into that stuff. Yeah. Uh, John wants to know: Do you think uh, Nikel Roby stays for four years? I think, given his size, you have to think he'd be in. Uh, he'd have to be an All-American to be a first-round draft pick. Yeah, without a doubt, he would have to be an All-American. I think to be a first-round draft pick. However, I think he's got a chance. Uh, people are starting to take some real notice. I mean, his 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 defensive effort just if they just took the video of his Notre Dame game last year and basically saw what he did, given a chance to play man to man, basically take uh, Michael Floyd out of the game. And Michael Floyd was the number one receiver drafted this year. You know, at six three and a half and two hundred twenty pounds, and uh, basically Nikel erased him. I mean, he, he essentially wasn't in that game. And that film alone and what could happen this year, my guess would be there's more of a chance that he won't be back than that he will. But, you know, it, you're right about size and you're right about, uh, you know, what's that perception out there. But, uh, but I think, you know, it's probably a goal to um, – obviously for Nikel to get to the NFL and he's worked awfully hard at it. And when you see him getting his, uh, you know, 40 time down into the low four threes and things like that. Uh, and he's such a wonderful kid and great competitor and, uh, you know, done everything that, that USC could possibly hope for a player to do. Uh, you wish him well. And uh, so if that happens, it happens. And I think everyone will be as happy as they could possibly be for Nikel. Okay, um, JJB had wanted to get an update on some of the injured players, uh, Robert Woods, Torin Harris, and Christian Thomas, and he wanted to also know if Patrick Patrick Hall is still with the program. Well, he's not still with the program, but according to his good friends on the team, he's hoping to be able to come back and be with the program. And that they think his knee is, uh, that he feels like his knee is uh, would let him come back. Uh, now, we haven't seen him this summer. Uh, uh, he's gone. Uh, I mean, he's at home. Uh, we understand that his academics got squared away. Uh, the last I talked to him, he certainly, that was his goal, to try to come, and to try to come back as a running back, uh, which is a place of need. The question I've got is, I don't think he could come back. Essentially, he's been separated from the program, so I don't think he could come back as a walk-on. Uh, so I don't know where scholarship numbers put him. Uh, it's, it's a hard question, and we're still not sure until you see the actual, you know, till the grades absolutely come out. You know, you can get reports that everything is fine, but you're not always certain that that's the case. And since we haven't seen him, haven't gotten to talk to him, uh, uh, but he's, you know, we understand he's trying. So we shall see where that where that goes. Uh, uh, as far as Robert Woods, thought he didn't wear his uh, brace and his football shoes the other day, but he was bouncing around pretty well. Didn't stay for the throwing part of it, but he was bouncing around. Didn't did not seem to be showing any favoritism on his uh, on his ankle. Didn't seem to be. Uh, but I think he went right into rehab instead of uh, you know running patterns. So they're trying to be, you know, not put 
any more undue uh, work on that uh, ankle than he needs. As he said, this is just throwing, and it's just a lie. Uh, so, uh, so I think he's pretty optimistic about, you know, I think he feels like right now he's in a better place than he was last year at this time, and he went on to catch a, you know, Pac-12 record, 111 catches. So, uh, uh, and then a Christian Thomas we have not seen. We understand because he, he has a, you know, fairly severe uh, uh, hip cartilage surgery, and those are so much, you know, uh, everybody's different. And, uh, you know, how much pain it causes them and in terms of uh, being able to, you know, to play with the kind of pain that, you know, and every kid, you know, is different. And I think in Christian's case, they decided to absolutely shut him down until practice. And uh, just so that, you know, the pain goes away and he's he's ready to go. Uh, but, uh, uh we shall see. The, the plan certainly is for him to be back, and uh, and to be ready to go. Uh, you know, when August practice gets here, but uh, we have not seen him. Uh, okay. Well, we got a bunch more to get to. Let's. We'll have to rapid fire through these, Dan. Okay. I guess we'll we'll try to get to them all. Uh, real quick, David from the OC. He said, "I noticed SEC has media day on ESPN. Does the Pac-12 also have media day on ESPN? Why not? If not." That's a good question. Uh, I, I'm not sure uh, if they've scheduled it for ESPN. We haven't seen any promos for it like we do with the SEC. I always I got a big kick out of the SEC there to having started out covering the SEC and going to those media days and remembering what it was like. And they were talking about, uh, I guess, asking the new kid from um, uh, uh, Missouri, uh, the wide receiver, what it's like to be in the media big time with 1,100 media people. And I was thinking – how interesting that they talk about the SEC as the media big time when they have the uh, SEC media days in a town, Birmingham, that doesn't even have a daily newspaper anymore, that their newspaper is only three times a week. And so there are ways in which you can talk about the SEC as, uh, as the big time in, the, in terms of media, which means uh, ESPN and CBS. But uh, – We'll see. That's a good question. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I know it's going to be we're streaming live on, uh, you know, Pac12.org. If you go to the Pac12 website, you will be able to see it live. But there hasn't been a single word about uh, having it on ESPN. I know they'll do, you know, live remotes and things like that. But whether they'll do it the way they do the SEC, that's a very good question. I wish I could give you an answer. Okay. Uh, move on to the next one. Here we go. This is Mark from San Jose. This question is for Dan. Robert Woods and Marquise Lee have proven that they have the it factor when they first arrived at, as freshmen at USC. Now we're hearing the same things with Nelson Aguilar, who already knows the playbook and is already had a schedule with his development. My concern is that you don't hear this determination and work ethic with George Farmer. Am I missing something? I hate to see this guy with so much talent not take advantage of what the opportunity is in front of him. Please share your thoughts. Fight on. Well, that's a good question. It probably shows a little bit the limitations of, uh, you know, Ryan. I, I, every day we come back and I watch him and I say, tell Ryan what an unbelievably good job he's done with the video reflecting exactly what we saw at practice. One of the limitations there is, uh, you know, a player like George Farmer limited ter- is limited in terms of, for example, if he has a class, especially on Fridays when they run late, uh, maybe can only be there for a few minutes. So you don't get a chance to see, say, uh, Robert with getting as many, uh, you know, George getting as many reps as, say, a, a Nelson Aguilar. So Nelson got a chance and, and probably said, you know, from the first play he ran, he said, okay, this kid has that it factor. Now, George had limitations last year because of the potential position switches. Was he, going to be a, uh, uh, was he going to be a running back or was he going to be a wide receiver? And he also had uh, an August injury and a, an October injury. And kind of both of those things knocked him back a little bit. And he's a different kind of a player, let's say, from, from Robert and Nelson for sure. Uh, and uh, maybe, you know, has a different kind of a set of physical skills than, say, Marquise. And so uh, 
it's not as easy to maybe, uh, you know, pigeonhole exactly where George is in this process. From everything that I can tell from talking to him in terms of his approach to uh, conditioning, his weight, his uh, ability to, to make sure he's, uh, uh, you know, gotten all the uh, rub downs and massages and, and warm ups and all of that, uh, he's much more serious about it, much more mature about it. And uh, I think he's approaching it really, you know, the right way. Just because you don't maybe get the chance to see him as much doing the reps uh, is more a function of his summer class schedule than it is necessarily his commitment, uh, you know, like Robert and Marquise and, and Nelson. Okay. Uh, last couple. Paul in Vegas wants to know any upgrades planned for the Coliseum and, and what's the uh, procedures, anything has changed in, in regarding the Coliseum as far as USC getting control? Boy, that's good. That's a good question. I know there's now a lawsuit being filed over the open uh, meetings uh, law as to, you know, was the uh, was the decision to, uh, you know, lease, make USC the, you know, give them the master lease of the Coliseum and basically take it over. And now we understand there's a, a lawsuit being filed uh, that they violated the open record or open meetings law in uh in the, in the negotiations with USC, uh, and that was last week. I don't know where that stands. It can't be moving things up faster, though, and uh, it, it doesn't look like they made great progress. Honestly, the video board is such a great addition last year that uh, you go to another stadium now, and if they don't have you know one of these world-class uh, state-of-the-art video boards, you really feel like you're, you know, you can't see the game very well. But uh, uh, I don't think they made as much progress on, I guess it would have been year three of their updates is probably they, they wish they could have in terms of things like the uh, restrooms and concession stands and all that. I think it kind of, uh, kind of went into a halt because the Coliseum Commission ran out of money, to be honest, you know, and they couldn't do the, uh, the improvements, that, which is why they had to, you know, turn it over to USC. Unfortunately, there probably isn't enough time to, to get all those done, even if USC had, you know, complete control, which it doesn't seem they do, like they do unless until and unless this uh, lawsuit gets dismissed. So, yeah, not a good answer. I wish I had one. All right, one last one, Dan. Uh, this is interesting. Do you think the quality of the Crenshaw guys, Marcus Martin and Hayes Pillard, would equal or be greater than the loss of DeAnthony Thomas? In other words, do you think USC got the better end of the two Crenshaw guys, Martin and Pillard, versus Thomas? Just curious. Thanks, Melvin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In, in USC's case now, two players uh, of that caliber, uh, you would, I don't care if it, you know, who you're comparing them to. Uh, uh, absolutely. So that's not a, a knock on, on DeAnthony. Uh but to be able to get two starters uh, who played at the level that those two played at at, at a young age last year and to, be, to know you're going to have them going forward uh, with the limited numbers USC has, uh, unbelievable. What a, a, an absolute blessing. Yeah, uh, just that's one of the things I think that scares, and somebody even referenced it today on ESPN, uh, how many good players are around USC. And they, they made that point. There aren't that many players around Penn State to to uh, carry them through as there are around USC, and we like to kid around and say you've got the best you know receiving combination in college football, and some people could maybe make the case that eventually the best ever in college football and Robert Woods and uh, and Marquise Lee, and not only do they come from the same high school, they could you know they could take the bus to practice every day. They could take a city bus to USC to practice. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. I mean, that, that's not almost possible at any other program. And it's one of the things that scares most of the other programs and had them a little intimidated in the middle of Pete's run is that there was so much potential talent around the USC program if they, uh, if they didn't miss on kids like that. So that's a good point. I would take the Crenshaw kids without any, any hesitation. All right. Well, Dan, thanks very much for doing a little extended podcast with all the Penn State stuff. We really appreciate you coming on the show. We'll talk to you next time. Very good. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. Stay tuned for that.
been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.